This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. If you were with us last week, you may remember that we started a series that uh, uh, we've entitled The Glory of the Lord. And we uh, last Sunday we read through a lot of scriptures, certainly not all, but a lot of scriptures that, uh, that the Bible has to say or that refer to the glory of God and different things. I'm going to read some of those this morning, not all of them, but I'm going to pick out several ones and, and, uh, and remind you. But uh, to begin with, I want to start in Haggai chapter 2, where God is speaking of the end times, and He said, And I will shake all nations. This is verse 7, Haggai chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. He said, And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. The Bible says, uh, Paul said it this way, he said, The whole earth is groaning and travailing in birth, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, what he's talking about there is he's talking about Jesus' return. He's talking about the change that takes place when Jesus comes back for the church. The Bible says we'll be caught up into the air. And, uh, and it says that we'll be changed in, a twinkle, in the twinkling of an eye, literally, quicker than you can blink. We will receive our redeemed bodies. Now, our spirits are already redeemed. The Bible says we're redeemed from the curse of the law. We're redeemed from spiritual death. We're redeemed from poverty. And we're redeemed from sickness, according to what the Bible says. But you know as well as I know that there's still a sin inclination. I, I really hesitate to call it a sin nature because your nature is the nature of God. You're not, you don't have dual natures. When you're born again, you become the, you become born of the nature of God. So you don't have a sin nature in you or about you. But you do have an inclination in your flesh to sin. It's not your nature. See, so many times when we stumble and fall, the devil will say, well, that's the real you. No, that's not the real you. The real you is the man on the inside that's born again and made righteous by the blood of Jesus. That's the real you. He doesn't want you to know that's the real you. And so he keeps telling you that the mistakes you make, that's the real you. But it's not. It's just the nature or the, the I'm sorry, I'm so, the church world is so used to using that term that I sometimes slip up and use it too. It's the inclination that your flesh has to sin. But that's not you. So here where it says that, uh, that it's waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, our bodies are going to be redeemed. Won't that be a great day when there will be no inclination in your flesh to sin again? The only reason you sin is because of the inclination in your flesh to sin and your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions joins in with that inclination. But you don't sp- sin from your spirit. Your spirit is made new. It's made perfect in the image of God. So where the Bible says that we are redeemed, it means that our bodies will be redeemed. We will receive a body, a changed, transfigured body that has no trace and no experience with sin whatsoever. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. So here where it says the desire of all nations shall come, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about the point in time that Jesus comes back. So it's clearly talking about the end, the end of the church age. Not the end of the world, but the end of the church age. So it says, and I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. Notice the connection between shaking all nations and Jesus' return. Anybody see anything being shaken today? And everybody is shaking. Every nation seems to be shaking. You find a nation that's not being shaken, and they're the exceptions. People are being, nations are being shaken economically, they're being shaken politically, they're being shaken spiritually, they're being shaken in every way, just about every way you can imagine. I don't know if you know this or not, but what people call global warming is the nations being shaken. Now don't fall for the political end of that, but there is a Bible side to that. 
Kate. So he says, and I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. Thank God it's coming toward the end. Folks, you need to realize the day and the, the time that we live in. It's too late to play games as the church. Let me say that again. It's too late for the church to play games. We need to ch- decide as the people of God, we need to decide, is the Bible true or is it not? If it's true, we need to live by it. If it's not true, we need to throw it away and enjoy the time we have left before the world comes apart. Because left on its own, the world will come apart. Everybody can see that. Thank God the Bible's true. So let's live by it. I will shake all nations. And the desire of all nations shall come. Now what is in connection with the last days, end time shaking, and the return of Jesus? And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Now at the time that this is spoken of, and I've referred to this before, but I think it bears repetition. Even if you did hear it before, you need to hear it again. There are three temples in the Old Testament. First, there was Solomon's temple. It was filled with glory. Second was this temple. It's called the second temple. It's being rebuilt after Israel has disobeyed God and their enemies have taken away the, the, the gold elements and the, the precious things that were sanctified before God. Now they're trying to rebuild the temple coming out of captivity. This is the point where the Bible, where God speaks these words. He said, I will fill this house with glory. We would therefore be inclined to think that he's saying, I'll fill the second temple with glory too. The problem is we've got the historical record. And the, the Bible record as well as history tells us that when the second temple was dedicated, the people that were still old enough to have seen the first temple now see the second temple dedicated. They cry and say, this is nothing. So he can't be talking about filling the second temple with glory. Now, the third temple was uh, uh, Herod's temple. That's the one that was in place when Jesus went through and the disciples were all impressed with the buildings. Jesus wasn't. He said there won't be one stone left upon another in this place. He, did, he wasn't impressed with that at all because it was not built for the glory of God. Herod built it for his own glory. So it served the purpose of the sacrifices and so forth, but it had nothing to do with being dedicated to God. It had nothing to do with the glory of God. So if he's saying, I filled this house with glory, but he's not talking about the second temple. What is he talking about? Well, the third temple wasn't filled with the glory of God. Only the first one was. Of the three, only the first, Solomon's temple was filled with the glory of God. Then what is he talking about filling this house? He's talking about the church. God's original plan was to dwell within people, not in buildings. So he's saying in the end, he's saying there'll be a shaking, an end time shaking of all nations. He said the connection is Jesus will come, the desire of all nations shall come. That's Jesus coming back. That's what the earth is groaning for. Then he says, and I'll fill the house, this house, the church with glory, saith the Lord. Thank God we have a promise of glory. Then he goes further and says in verse 8, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Now you decide for yourself what, what the connection there is, but God is saying that silver and gold is connected with glory. Now I know a lot of people preach against silver and gold and they say God's not happy with you if you've got a lot of money and, and, uh, and, and if, you, if you have money then, then that just makes people greedy and stuff like that. Folks, I want you to understand something. God's the creator of the earth. He's the creator of the universe. And when the time came for him to have a house built for himself, he did not say, go get a couple of sticks of wood and lean them up together and we'll call that my house. No, he gave specific instruction. Even the things that were wood, he said, overlay them with gold. 
Now, I think that has a spiritual significance, a greater spiritual significance than it has a natural or a material significance. And that is, that's how God sees you. You're his house now. He sees you as precious and more precious than silver and gold. But still, you can't get away from the fact that God said the connection with the last days has something to do with silver and gold. You put your own interpretation on that. I, I know what, <laughs> I'm satisfied with what it means. But you put your own interpretation on that. I believe there's going to be an end time release of finances for the people who are faithful to obey God with what they have. When the world goes down economically, the doers of the word, those that act on and live by the word of God and act according to their, to what the Bible says to do with their finances will always be provided for. David said, I was once young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread until the end time comes. No. The righteous aren't going to be forsaken even when the worlds are being shaken economically. So please understand, I'm not saying put your trust in silver and gold, but there's something about silver and gold in the end. Then he goes further in verse 9. Sandwiches it. He sandwiches silver and gold right in between glory. Verse 9, he said, And the glory of this latter house, talking about the church, shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Turn back with me to Second Chronicles chapter 5. Now the former he's talking about has to be Solomon's temple. Because at this point in time, the second temple is just being rebuilt. So he's got to be talking about Solomon's temple. So let's look at the glory of Solomon's temple. Now to give you a little background on this, when David became king of Israel, David was a man after God's own heart, even though he messed up, made a lot of mistakes, made mistakes with his children, made mistakes with Bathsheba and, and killed her husband, did all kinds of things wrong. But he was still a man after God's own heart. And David always wanted to build God a house. Before then, they had the tabernacle of the wilderness. You remember God gave Moses instruction of what to do and how to fashion the, 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 uh, the pieces of furniture and the, the Ark of the Covenant and different things like that. There were, there were specific instructions made about the, the coverings, you know, the wool coverings and things like that that made the tent, uh, um, that was the fabric of the tent that, that was housed in and, and specific instructions about how it was to be carried and all those things. But it was portable. But once God gave Israel a homeland, what we know of as the nation of Israel today. When God gave Israel a home, a geographic location, that's when the people of God, specifically David, started asking God and seeking after him to build a temple. Well, David had to defeat the enemies. And so God told David, you're a man of war, out of necessity, by the will of God. He said, but you're a man of war, so you can't build my temple. He said, but I'll let your son, your son do it. That was Solomon. Solomon was a man of peace. Now, the reason Solomon was able to enjoy peace was because David had defeated all the enemies. Folks, you need to understand, peace does not come through compromise. Peace comes through defeating your enemies. You're never going to have peace in your life, in your Christian walk, until you take on the battles that the enemy brings against you and defeat him. That's when peace comes. Peace doesn't come through treaties. Peace comes through victories. So Solomon now builds the temple. David, since he knew he wasn't going to be able to build it, he just set aside money for it. And the, the amounts of money that David and his generals and his captains and different guys set apart in today's money is staggering. Billions of dollars. So the time comes for, Dave, for uh, Solomon, 
King Solomon to build the temple. They did it in a very specific way. The Bible says there was never the sound of uh, the noise of hammer or, or anything. They, they, they would build it off-site, bring it together, and assemble it. And it was built in such an intricate manner that nobody even had to hammer a nail to put things together. And when the time came for the temple to be dedicated, the Bible tells us about this in Second Chronicles chapter 5, beginning in verse... Well, let's start reading in verse 11. It says, And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all the priests that were present were sanctified and did not then wait by course. In other words, this was a special situation as they would normally take turns and do things in a rotating event. Now everybody's doing it all together. Also the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph, of Heman, and of Jedithon, with their sons and their brethren. These are all the tribes that were given to songs and, and the ones that were the worship leaders, basically. Being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, when they all stood at the east end of the altar, and with them a hundred and twenty priests sounding with trumpets, it came even to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments and music, and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endureth forever, that then... Everybody say, then... That then, when all the preparation was made, and this is not just the priest doing the preparation. This is the preparation for the temple being built. This is the preparation for the trumpets, trumpeters. They, I mean, they've got this thing planned. They didn't get to the day of dedication and say, okay, what do you think we ought to do? They've got this thing planned way in advance. Everybody's looking forward to it. Everybody is in one, has the same mind about the importance of and the significance of the dedication of the temple. Then when they began to sing and to praise... When they began to sing, for the Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever, that then the house was filled with the cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister. That means stand upright. That means everybody's falling down. They could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. It says when they were in one accord, when they were of the same mind, when they were of the same purpose, and they began to sing and to praise. And they, it tells us specifically what they're saying. For the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. That then the house was filled with a cloud. Even the glory of the Lord. That's got to be something more than they just decided to go to church together. I mean, we decided to go to church together today, didn't we? Is every time somebody decides to go to church together, does that make the glory of the Lord present? No. Well, then there's got to be something different about this that we either don't understand or that we're not believing for. I say we, meaning the church world at large. We see more than our share. Well, that's not a good way to say it. We see the glory of the Lord frequently in, the, in this church. One of the reasons is because we pray things related to it. But I don't believe the church world is seeing near the glory of the Lord that we need to or should or that God wants us to. The Bible says concerning the end, it says the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of His glory. Well, I wouldn't consider that to be true today. Would you? I don't believe that's been fulfilled yet. This has got to mean more than they just decided to sing the same song. Join us for our Christmas Eve candlelight service with Pastor Mike Webb. Christmas is a special time here at Foothill Family Church. I want to especially invite you to our Christmas Eve candlelight service. We have a chance to celebrate when Jesus came to the earth to be our Savior. Come join us this Christmas Eve. 
Again, that's the Christmas Eve candlelight service at 6 p.m. December 24th at Foothill Family Church. For more information, go to www.mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I'm, uh, I'm going to refer to some things and let you look them up if you want to. But the Bible speaks of the glory of the Lord in a lot of different ways. It speaks of the cloud frequently. It speaks of the cloud overshadowing the glory of the Lord. In other words, it means the glory of the Lord inside the cloud. Then it speaks of brightness. In one place it speaks of the, of the, 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 like a rainbow. Ezekiel talked about it as a rainbow. Over and over and over again, it speaks of the glory of the Lord causing people to not be able to stand or not be able to enter the place where the glory is manifest. Paul talked about the glory of the Lord. He talked about on the road to Damascus. He said there was a light that shined round about him and his company that was brighter than the noonday sun. Well, it was noon. So the Bible talks about brightness. It talks about glory. It talks about glistening. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 9. Let me show you something else about this. Here's an example or the story of where Jesus is transfigured before the disciples or before three of his disciples. And notice how it refers to it. We'll start reading in verse 28. And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory. What does that mean? That means they're shining too. Who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, that means Jesus' death, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. These guys take naps at the wrong time, I'm telling you. <laughs> but I tell you what else it shows you. It shows you what the devil will try to do to keep you out of the experiences with God. Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake, they saw his glory. And the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Folks, I think a lot of people fall into that category. They don't know what they're saying. Now, I understand his excitement. Wow, this was great. Let's don't leave. I feel that way when the glory of God manifests too, don't you? Well, let's don't leave. But it's not meant to stay in the middle of it's meant to use and take with you. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them. And as he feared, they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. Now what does it say when the cloud was passed, then he was alone. That means there was this cloud, this fog, this smoke-looking thing, and that's the way the Bible refers to it in the Old Testament over and over again. It speaks of a, a, cl a cloud, it speaks of a fog, it speaks of smoke, it speaks of brightness, it speaks of glistening. It uses all these different terms, brightness, even rainbow in one place, in Ezekiel. It speaks of all these different things referring to the cloud. Well, what it's telling us is when the cloud overshadowed them, Moses and Elijah disappeared, but the disciples, Peter, James, and John, couldn't see anybody, and so they didn't see the, where they went. Then when the cloud lifts, they can see again, and there's Jesus. You know what it's like being in the fog. 
the heavier the fog is, you can't see some things right in front of your face. But then as the cloud, as the fog begins to lift or burn off, then you can see a little bit further and a little bit further, and finally you can see clearly. Apparently, that's the way the glory of God is in many cases. In this case, that seems to be what it's referring to. Turn with me over to Colossians chapter 1. Oh, there's so many things I want to tell you about the glory of God. There's so many things I think God wants to do in these last days relative to the glory of God. Notice in Colossians chapter 1, notice in verse, uh, let's start in verse 25. Paul talking about himself, he says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you. I've got a dispensation of God, not for me, but for you. That's what he's saying. For what purpose? To fulfill the word of God. Actually, this word fulfill is the word complete. Without Paul's revelation, we wouldn't have the completeness of who we are in Christ. Without Paul's revelation, John wouldn't have been able to say that anybody that adds to this is cursed. Paul realizes his purpose. He says, I'm here to complete the word of God. That must have been part of what Jesus referred, uh, revealed to him. Then he goes further and he says this, Even this mystery, which was hid from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to the saints. So he's saying, you know what a mystery is? A mystery is something you don't fully understand. He's saying, so there was something we didn't fully understand, but now has been revealed. People talk about the mysteries of God. So many things are mysteries to people because they won't study the Word. Most of the mysteries of God are revealed in the Word. Now, some things aren't. It's a mystery when Jesus is going to return. No man knows the day or the hour. But it's not a mystery that he's coming. So he said, even the mystery, which has been hid from the ages and generations, from generations, but, made, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom, his saints, to whom God would make known. I get so tired of people saying, well, you just never know about God. Are you kidding? Everything about the Bible is so you can know. Let me say it this way. It's, God, it's not God's fault if Christians are stupid. <laughs> now, I know that may not be the most polite way to say it, but it kind of gets the point across, doesn't it? And too many Christians are stupid when it comes to knowing the things of God. But He gave you the tools. He gave you everything you need to know about Him, about His purpose, and about who you are. To whom God would make known to the saints. In other words, God has made known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What is the mystery? What are the riches of this glory, of the riches of this mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, folks, please understand, he's not saying Christ in you is the hope that you'll have glory someday. He's saying Christ in you is the hope of glory now. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus was transfigured and his raiment began to, to, to glisten and, uh, and he was transfigured in front of everybody, is that something that God did that Jesus wasn't normally? Or did they just see him the way that he really was? See, one of the things that, that I think we miss as the body of Christ is we fail to recognize that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. That's what the Bible says raised Jesus up as being the spirit of glory. In other words, the spirit of glory is the spirit of God. And you've got him because you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. 
You may have him in fuller measure when you make Jesus or when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Same Spirit, just greater measure. Same Holy Ghost. There's not Holy. The Holy Ghost is not twins. Same Spirit, just in different measure. So when Jesus appeared before, the, was transfigured before the apostles, or Peter, James, and John, at least, when he was transfigured, was that not his normal state? Well, no, that was his normal state. It was just the state that he was not normally seen in because of the limitations of the flesh. Well, then what do you really look like? I mean, we see each other through the eyes of the flesh, but what do you really look like? If Christ in you is the hope of glory, the same hope of glory, you've got the same spirit of glory in you that raised Jesus from the dead, what do you look like? We get so accustomed to looking at ourselves through the filter of our mistakes, through the filter of our sins and our shortcomings, that we think, well, that's who we really look like. That's who God sees. Uh Uh-uh. God sees you just like Jesus was transfigured before the apostles. Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1. We've been praying this, uh, well, I've been praying this since the church started, but specifically for the last, uh, well, going on five years, I guess, uh, close to five years anyway, uh, in in, uh, prayer school. On Sunday evenings. Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1. Notice what it says. Here's God's instruction, Old Testament instruction to his people. He said, ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Now the latter time of the latter rain has got to be the last days. Folks, if anybody is in doubt that we're in the last days, I don't know what to tell you. It's so obvious that we're in the last days. There is not one prophecy yet fulfilled before Jesus comes. The only thing that is necessary to be done for Jesus to come back is for the shout to take place from heaven. Ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds. In other words, so shall he reveal his glory. And he'll make showers of rain. Now what is that? That means the Holy Ghost will begin to fall from heaven. The Holy Ghost will begin to fall from heaven. The Bible talks about the Holy Ghost sometimes falling. In Acts chapter 10 it says the Holy Ghost fell on all those that heard Paul preach at Cornelius' house. The Holy Ghost fell. There's a moving of the Holy Ghost from within us, but also there's a falling of the Holy Ghost too. I've never been in a position, never been in a situation, never had the experience to see the Holy Ghost fall. I've seen the Holy Ghost move in a lot of ways, but I've never seen the falling of the Holy Ghost. But the Bible says that's something that will happen as a result of our prayer. I've always focused on the fact that this is the Holy Ghost moving from within us, and that's certainly true because the Holy Ghost doesn't live in heaven. The Holy Ghost lives in the church. So if the Holy Ghost to move, he's not going to move from heaven, he's going to move through us. But there is still a falling of the Spirit of God. I have to assume that that means a heaven-initiated Spirit move, or move of the Spirit. So the Lord shall make bright clouds, a manifestation of his glory, and give them showers of rain. I'm looking for the Holy Ghost to fall like rain to everyone grass in the field. What's it going to produce? It's going to produce people being one into the kingdom of God. It's going to produce people being brought into fellowship with God that we're out of fellowship. It's going to, be, it's going to produce people being filled with the Holy Ghost and healed and see the demonstration of God's glory. But you've got a part in that. The Bible says it doesn't happen unless you ask. God appeared in the Old Testament to his people in a cloud. That cloud identified his presence and his manifested glory. Come join us at Foothill Family Church.
and experience the glory of God with us. Join us for our Christmas Eve candlelight service with Pastor Mike Webb. Christmas is a special time here at Foothill Family Church. I want to especially invite you to our Christmas Eve candlelight service. We have a chance to celebrate when Jesus came to the earth to be our Savior. Come join us this Christmas Eve. Again, that's the Christmas Eve candlelight service at 6 p.m. December 24th at Foothill Family Church. For more information, go to www.mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.